Chapter Two of An Angler's Hours by Hugh Tempest Sheringham. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two, The Inviolable Shade. Still nursing the unconquerable hope, still clutching the inviolable shade. I have a dim memory of having read somewhere that Matthew Arnold was a fisherman in his lighter moments. Whether that be so or not, he could not have turned two lines more aptly to my purpose. For three full weeks I have been nursing the unconquerable hope. For three full weeks I have been clutching the inviolable shade. And now I hereby retract all that I have said upon the subject, and make solemn recantation of my heresies. Three short weeks ago I was to be numbered among the Umbers' friends and apologists. I knew comparatively little of him, it is true, but that little was certainly to his advantage. The thought of him carried me back to the rippling fords of Teem, where I first made his acquaintance with great pleasure and some profit, and I regarded him as one of the jewels in the angler's crown. Not so bright, perhaps, as the trout, but by all means worthy of his setting. Now, however, I know him for the knave he is, and have become his enemy, and this is the manner of the conversion. Over the wine-cup, or the modern drinking utensil which in these degenerate days has supplanted it, we were speaking of holidays. There are far too many grayling there, said the expert insidiously, and you'd get the tail-end of the trout-fishing. I hesitated. Meditation had been busy with a certain unknown nook in Wessex, where the great roach are, but the expert went on persuasively. There are some very big grayling there. He spoke of two-pound fish caught in the mayfly season, and returned uh, that they might be taken again when in condition as three-pounders. He mentioned five brace as the kind of basket that ought to be daily reward for painstaking effort, and finally he appealed to my sense of duty. The trout were being shouldered out of the stream by their rivals, and it was incumbent on every honest man who had the good of the water at heart to do what in him lay to keep the stock of grayling within limits. At last, after a little mental arithmetic, five brace a day for a week came to the considerable total of uh, seventy fish, the weight being, of course, a hundred and forty pounds, I allowed myself to be convinced, and said that I would go and catch these fish. Could not the expert come too? But no— the expert was obliged to keep down the stock of grayling in another river, and therefore he feared he could not manage it. It has since occurred to me that he did not reveal the whole of the matter. I have noticed that his fine catches of grayling always come from some other river, and I have a suspicion that he knows more of the inviolable shade than appeared from his conversation. But at the time I was quite satisfied with the results of the mental arithmetic, and after laying in a large stock of those numerous fancies and terrors whose varied brilliancy is warranted to kill grayling 
in any water or weather, I started for the little Berkshire trout stream, to which I have so far rather vaguely alluded as there, and in a few hours was standing by its side, waving a particularly vivid fancy to and fro in the air, and nursing the unconquerable hope with great affection. On the day of my arrival the trout rose, and I forgot all about keeping down the grayling, though I could see them in the water, and realized that the expert had not overstated their numbers or exaggerated their size more than is pardonable. In the evening, therefore, I found that I was short of the day's total of five brace by the total itself, though I had not done badly with trout. I determined that this must not occur again. I had come down to catch grayling, and not trout, and grayling should be caught. Yet, such is the value of good resolutions, the second day saw me again fishing assiduously for trout, which, by the way, seemed to like the gaudy fancies and terrors used as a kind of compromise with conscience. If I was not definitely fishing for grayling, I was at least using grayling flies. And so the evening came again, bringing a deficit of five brace. Plainly I should have to have a really big day with the grayling to balance my accounts, and on the next morning I settled down to a shoal which was found rising on the edge of a long bank of weeds. They rose well for some hours, and I nursed my unconquerable hope, and cast diligently across a rather awkward breeze. But it presently began to dawn upon me that the undertaking was not quite so easy as I had imagined. Fancies and terrors were all tried in turn, and all discarded. The dark olive dun, which was on the water in fair quantities, failed to secure a rise. Black gnats, red quills, little marriots, sedges red and silver, the red tag itself, all seemed to be useless. And at last the unconquerable hope was, so to speak, put away into its cradle while I considered the problem. Finally a wickham floated rather cynically over an obstinate fish, and was taken. "'At last!' I murmured, as I hurried downstream in obedience to the grayling's peremptory demand. A good fifty yards were covered, and I saw no more of him than his great back fin once. Evidently this was one of the two-pounders taken with the mayfly, and returned that he might be taken as a three-pounder. But, alas, hardly had I decided on the inscription that should adorn his glass case, when he stopped and shook himself, and the fly came away. For a minute or two the cradle containing the unconquerable hope was in hazard of being kicked across the meadow. But calmer counsels prevailed, and I comforted myself with the thought that, though I had lost a fish, I had found the fly. The Wickham was to retrieve my fortunes, and to make up the fifteen brace which were now in arrears, for the grayling rise was over for the day. The Wickham would, however, have to work hard, I reflected, as I returned to my abode. On the fourth day this inestimable fly did its best, and I actually caught a grayling of about a pound, and lost two others, 
a result not particularly gratifying, but lucky for the unconquerable hope, which was in some danger of being left in its cradle permanently. It was on the fifth day that I saw a grayling a yard long. That, at least, is the length suggested by the unconquerable hope which I was nursing, as it was early in the morning. The circumstance, however, prevented me from catching anything, for the fish in question kept me busily employed all day. I now lacked twenty-four and a half brace, and the Wickham refused to help me any more. The sixth day saw another grayling in the basket. He was caught by accident, for he took the olive that was meant for a rising trout. The seventh day was somewhat notable. On that day the grayling, a yard long, rose at a black gnat which I offered him. I missed him, of course, and the week ended with a deficit of thirty-four brace. In the evening of the seventh day I had an argument with the unconquerable hope. If, it said, you stay here long enough, you will get another rise out of that yard-long grayling, and you may catch him. It added also that grayling are well known to be uncertain fish. It was possible that any day might find them feeding madly. I should be sorry to have missed the carnival. I gave way, and decided to give them another week. And then the gales began. Each day brought high wind and a sullen sky, and the whole week added two more small grayling to the catch. I did not get another rise from the grayling a yard long. Of the infirmity of purpose which caused me to waste a third week in clutching the inviolable shade, I do not care to speak. The gales continued, and I basketed a fish on each of the two worst days. The last three were ideal days for grayling, and the fish were rising all over the river at everything, apparently except for the artificial fly, which I used in all the ways known to me, both dry and wet, with less result than one would have thought possible. Seven rises in all, including one short one, from the grayling a yard long. And so, at the end of the three weeks, I find myself one hundred and two brace of grayling to the bad. Trout, indeed, I caught, but I did not seek for them. I wished to keep down the stock of grayling, and I have failed lamentably. Somehow the deficit must be made good. There has been some talk of a net, a stern proceeding which in the old days I deprecated. But now I shall be very happy to lend a hand to the ropes, and the only thing that keeps my unconquerable hope alive is the possibility of being able to stamp on that grayling a yard long when he has been netted out onto the bank. End of chapter 2